listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. In your Bibles or on your devices to the book of Matthew once again, chapter 6. For the last week and the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. We've entitled this series, Teach Us to Pray. You know, there are many ways we could define prayer. I have chose to define prayer this way, that prayer is our responding, what we say, what we do, to our knowledge of God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is us responding to what He has revealed. Now, last week, we began by placing the Lord's Prayer in its context, and it's very important. If you'll remember, it begins in Matthew chapter 4, and it goes all the way through chapter 7. It's the longest uh, teaching that we have recorded of Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is doing, he's painting a picture with incredible detail as to what a follower of him of his looks like how we respond to each other <clears throat> how we deal with anger marriage our tongues giving all kinds of things and that the pinnacle of this picture is the lord's prayer and uh we begin by introducing last week and we talked only about four words we talked about the intro of our father in heaven and we saw two very important things. We saw, first of all, we're praying to a loving and caring Father, not a far-off, unconcerned, unconnected deity. But he said God as a Father to us. He's a Father that we all share, the hour, the first word that we're including each other. We're praying to the same Father. But his fatherliness, his fatherhood um, relates to his readiness and his eagerness to meet our earthly needs. Second, is God our God in heaven? That he's above us. We should never forget that. We should never get so comfortable with him that we forget that he is above all. And uh, we can call out to the one that knows all, sees all, and has all the power to do something about it. And so his heavenliness relates to his supreme right to be given worship and allegiance and obedience. So we hold them together. Our Father who loves and cares and is ready to meet our needs. But don't forget he is in heaven and he is above all. And so last week I introduced kind of the structure. And I still believe this, that it begins with an introduction. And we've got three petitions that uh, or requests that really focus on him. And then there are three requests or petitions that really focus more on us. But I've noticed something this past week that even though, yes, that is a, a good outline, you'd get an, an, an A in your seminary class for that, but I noticed something, that there are six petitions, but there is one petition that all the others actually stem or, or come from, that it isn't you just line them up, that it all begins with our Father in heaven, who we're talking to. Then, hallowed be your name. And then from that comes all the other petitions. That So what we're going to see this morning 
It's the, the purpose of the entire universe and every single human is that we are to hallow or hallowing of God's name like this. Your kingdom come so that your name is hallowed. Your will be done so that your name is hallowed. And it's not, Lord, give me our, my daily bread or give me what I want. But it's, Lord, give us our daily bread so that, whatever form it is, so that your name is hallowed. Forgive us our debts so that your name would be hallowed. And lead us not in temptation. Just not keep me out of trouble. But it's lead us not in temptation so that your name is hallowed. But what does it really mean to hallow? Not a word we use a lot. It's an old English word. And the interesting thing is most translations chose to keep this word hallowed. We don't really have a a great word that, that might encompass all that. But what does it mean to hallowed something? Well, let's find out this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 6. And I begin with saying it this way. I've, I've had the honor, I've, I've had the privilege of sitting across the table or even in my living room or, or in the office with many different people over the last many, many years of sitting down with people that are walking through a difficult time, maybe in their marriage, maybe in parenting, or even just with family members. And I say it's an honor because I do count it that, to be able to sit down with couples or individuals that are not afraid to say, I need help. Listen, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of setting aside our pride to reach out to someone and say, could you please listen? Could you please listen to what's going on? And if you've got any advice, I, I would welcome that. It takes a lot of courage. So if you've ever reached out in any form to a, a pastor, an elder, a life completer, a counselor, man, hear me say Thank you for having the courage to do that. But if you're sitting there maybe contemplating, maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe you're having trouble processing something. Man, I would encourage you to reach out to someone. But every time, every time I have sat down with an individual or a couple that are experiencing problems, I always ask one question. So if you ever reach out and it's me, um, just know this question is probably going to be asked. But here's how it goes. Oftentimes, when there's a problem, we'll fight about all kinds of things. At least that's been my experience. And we will turn many things into so many battles because everything is really stemming from from one issue that that it might be. So if you're a couple that's having problems, I don't know if you've been married more than 30 minutes, you've probably had a few things to work out. Uh, Probably began long before that trying to plan the wedding and all that. But you know what it's like. That uh, maybe you're having trouble communicating, and every time you talk, um, it just ends up in a huge fight. And uh, mud starts getting slung everywhere, and you're bringing all kinds of things out. And, um, you know, you, you begin to stop and think. And this is the question. I always stop and say, usually I'll turn to him first, being uh, the head of that house. And I'll say, okay, if you were to wake up, in the morning you wake up, and all of your problems, they're all fixed. What is it? What is going to show you? What is she going to do or not do? Or how do you know? How would you know if all of your problems were resolved? What would she do or what would she not do to prove to you? And you would know, oh, everything is finally. The universe is lined back up. It's exactly as 
it should be. So maybe you find yourself, I don't know, you're arguing about what kind of milk to buy. Um, not that that's ever happened in my home. Uh, how much time to spend at each other's, at Thanksgiving, at, at the in-laws and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you're counting up the minutes and trying to keep all things fair. Or, or maybe it's just who's going to get up and let the dog out. You know, I don't know. But, but you find yourself in those moments and it just seems like everything is turning into a fight. So you're fighting about all kinds of things. So he wakes up and everything's fixed. What would he say? Maybe he might say something like this, just hypothetically. He'd say, you know what? I woke up, and I know every problem is fixed, and I can tell because she no longer is correcting my bad grammar in front of people. Well, you know what that tells me? That the most important thing to him is that she respects him. And when she does that, then uh, that is cutting uh, the respect that he is looking for. So then that filtrates into all kinds of other things. When she wants a different type of milk, that means, well, you're not respecting my opinion. Or maybe for her, maybe you ask her, okay, then what is it? You wake up and, man, everything is as it should be. And maybe she says something like this. I would know everything is fixed when he surprises me with a date night. So the real issue is not the milk, it's not the in-laws, and it's not the dog. Her real issue is she wants to feel important to him. She wants to feel that in her relationship with her husband. So in that moment, they, they discover really what each person really hallows. Because hallowing is this, to hallow something is to treat it as sacred or ultimate. And in that moment, you find out of all things, he could really care less about the milk. What really matters is respect. She could care less about really where they spend the holidays. As long as they're together, she just wants to be loved and to be set apart by him. So when you hallow something, it's you're showing what is ultimate or what is most important to you. So when you answer that question, you really see that what you hold as most valuable is most important. So notice this. The very first thing that Jesus tells his disciples to pray after they know who they're talking to in God's name, that it would be hallowed. Let me me read it again. Here's how it goes. Pray like this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're going to take those first three petitions today. So why would Jesus, why would he begin this way? Why would he begin with our Father in heaven knowing who he's talking to? Why would the first thing be, God, hallowed be your name? Well, I have two reasons. There's probably many more, but I have two reasons What I see in the text is why it would be this way. But I want to focus on, first of all, thy name part. We're going to kind of go at it backwards, and then I'll build into it. So what does he mean when he says, hallowed be your name? Well, a name in this context refers to a person's character, their authority, or even just their identity of a person. So in Jewish custom, a name. When you were picking a name for a child, it was connected to their identity and their purpose. Think about Jesus. John chapter 1 says that his name will be Jesus 
son of the most high God. That Jesus is his name, but it's connected to his identity. Even in fact, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming, he says, here comes the one who will take away the sins of the world. Because a name was connected directly to a person's identity. So when many met Jesus, have you ever noticed? He often renamed people. In fact, when Saul met uh, Christ on the road to Damascus, his name was changed to Paul because oftentimes their identity changed, so their name was then changed also to reflect that new identity. So here, God's name, when they say, hallowed be thy name, it represents his person and his character. Now, names typically today... It's a convenient way to label people. That way not everybody's dude or man or, you know, that's what we kind of do when we don't know. Hey, coach, it's, it's, we, we're using it so that we know kind of who I'm talking to. In fact, that's why we like for you to wear name tags. It helps all of us. But we pick a name because it flows well or maybe to honor a relative. But for a Jew, a name was anything but a convenient label because names were considered to indicate that person's character. Just listen to a few of the Psalms. Did a, did a search through this of looking at God's name. And just notice this, Psalm 27. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust, and notice what we trust in, the name of our Lord God. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O God, not to us, but to your name be gl- give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Psalm 54, 1. Oh God, save me. It doesn't say by your power, which that would be true. It says, save me by your name. Vindicate me by your name. So we're to trust in the Lord's name, meaning his person or his character. We are saved by his name, meaning his person or his character. So first of all, we're to pray that God's name, meaning his purpose and his character, would be hallowed. It would be revered. It would be front and center of all things. So why would Jesus put this at the beginning? After we know who we're talking to, God our Father in heaven, the first thing that everything else is going to come from, hallowed be your name, your name be revered, your name be held as most important. Well, first of all, it's because they were hallowing themselves above everything else. In context, remember what Jesus had just talked about? He said he's talking to them about how they were giving and how they were praying. And he calls them hypocrites because they were giving to the poor and they were praying so that people would notice what they were doing. They wanted people, they were giving money, lending a hand, they were praying, using their eloquent words. So that others would notice them. And in that moment, we see what they are hallowing. They are hallowing their own image. That I I have to feel important. I need to be noticed. Therefore, I'm going to give, but I want everybody to see me carrying my box. You see how big my box is? Or when we're praying, we want them to go, oh, listen to those incredible words. They're doing things to be noticed. The most important thing to them is themselves. And they wanted others to have a very high view of them. And that's what was ruling their hearts. The thing that is sitting on the throne of their lives 
was themselves. So Jesus is really beginning with a dethroning of the people. Hallowed be your name. Not my name, Lord, but yours. But the second reason I believe he begins with this is that, first of all, they were hallowing all the wrong things, especially themselves. But the second reason is that all our problems, every single problem we have is rooted in what we hallow. Jesus knows that all of our problems, all of our frustrations, all of your anxieties, all of the things that stress you out come from what you show adoration for. It comes from adoration. You might be thinking, what in the world do you mean? Well, I mean that all problems, all the problems that I have, remember I get to reflect my sinfulness on you, so therefore the sinfulness that you have is rooted in what you adore. When the things we adore, think about it, when the things that you adore the things that you revere, the things that you hold as ultimate and hallow the most, when that's threatened, that's when you become the most angry, the most frustrated, when anxiety just rids every part of you. And when you find yourself just ridden with anxiety and frustration, anger, because the thing that you hallow the most is being threatened. Because here's what Jesus is going to get at. We will never truthfully, wholeheartedly, ever be able to truly say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this daily bread, forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation until we adore, revere, or hold ultimate and hallow the most when that's the Lord. It'll never work if we are still sitting on our throne. Just like that example of marriage earlier, that question that reveals what they're really after, what they're really seeking after the most, what they're adoring. Above all, he wanted respect and she wants to be loved. Because here's why this is such an important and a dangerous prayer. And it goes all the way back to the garden. Many of the issues we have tend to end up there and begin there. That God placed Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden that we can't even imagine. Everything they needed was there. However, God told them, there's one tree, stay away from it. Everything else, fair game, but I need you to stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What doesn't take long, and you know who comes on the scene. Comes up to them and he says, uh, you know, God does really doesn't want you to have this. They go, I know, I know that. We heard him. But the reason is, you don't know the reason, because he didn't tell you the reason. He just said, because I said so. Is He said, the reason is, is that's really the best one. And they're looking at that thinking, well, you know what? He's, he's right. And Satan wants them to think that God is holding something back from them. And essentially, Satan is saying this. Because he won't let you have everything, he doesn't want you to have anything. You know, I think about often children, and I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your life, but we're in those child-rearing years that are so blessed. And, uh, you know, it might go something like this. No, I'm sorry, we cannot go to the evil metropolis of Chuck E. Cheese. 
But you know what? Hey, it's a beautiful day. Man, let's go to the park and let's play. And often you might hear the response, well, if I can't go to Chuck E. Cheese, then I don't want to do anything. Because here's what's happening. They're communicating what happened in the garden. They're saying, because you won't give me everything I want, that means you don't want me to have anything. And Adam and Eve were hallowing themselves in what they wanted. And in that moment, they replaced God on the throne of their lives with themselves. Their greatest adoration moved from being him and his character and his name, and it began threatening what was hallowing in themselves the most, which was them. And when that begins getting threatened, then that's when we find ourselves angry and frustrated and ridden with anxiety. So let me give you a little personal application here. The next time you find yourself frustrated, the next time you find yourself angry or just full of anxiety, stop and ask, okay, what am I hallowing right now? What is being threatened that is causing these emotions to come up? Because this will show you what needs to move out of the center or the throne of your life. And like I said last week, This is a painful and a dangerous prayer to pray because it will radically change your life. And this is what Jesus is saying. Once you know who you're praying to, our Father in heaven, the first thing that we need to pray is that God would be the one at the center of our lives, that we would actually be dethroned and God put in His rightful place. I mean, imagine how different our lives would be if we begin each and every day with asking the all-powerful God to move back into His rightful place in our lives. But it doesn't just happen by walking over and flipping on a light switch. But Jesus shows us. He shows us how we can hallow His name. Because everything now comes from that. When we know who we're talking to, it begins with a dethroning. Hallowed be your name. Move me out of the way. And it begins by thy kingdom come. So what, what's God's kingdom? Now there's a lot of discussion about it. And I see it as a, a past, a present, and a future thing. Matthew chapter 4, it's so interesting, tells us the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, from that time Jesus began preaching and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning, I'm here. I am the kingdom. Listen to Luke 17, where we also find the Lord's Prayer. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Meaning, Jesus came to earth, and he brought the kingdom of God in his person. That we can say Jesus was the kingdom because he's the only person who fully accepted and fully carried out the will of the Father. And he is showing us, I am, I am the kingdom. But it's also a present. It's the one that we are in. We see God's kingdom here. Well, how do we see it? It's when those moments where we see God reigning supreme in the hearts of men and women and children. When what is true in heaven becomes true on earth in the lives of his people. 
It's the kingdom. But oh, there'll be a future. There'll be a future one where we will see God's kingdom in its fullest when Jesus returns to call his bride home and we get to see God the Father with unveiled faces. So we're to pray, thy kingdom come. This expresses that we believe God is reigning supremely in heaven. And our desire is to see God reign in our lives and to see him accomplish his purposes here in this world. So it should be who we're talking to, our Father in heaven. Dethrone me. Move me out of the way. Find your rightful place in my life. God, thy kingdom come. What is true there? Make it true in my life. Let me see it in other people. And we pray for that day that the the veil is finally removed from our eyes and we get to see his kingdom in its purest form. And then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Have you ever seen something or seen someone that you just know that's what they were created for. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I remember one time, it's been several years ago, and uh, someone, uh, I got infected. I got infected by a virus called duck hunting. And um, I remember watching, it's cold, and it is early, and there is this dog, and it is sitting in water, standing with icicles hanging off of its, its snout, And I mean, it's sitting there and it's watching its owner and it will not move its head and the ducks are circling. When a duck finally falls and that owner gives that command and that dog leaps into that water, swims out and retrieves it. I mean, you go, that's what that dog was created for. It couldn't, he can't think of anything else and he knows this is my life. Or watching, man, a child run and play and to have no care in the world. That's what they're created for. Last week, I was watching a, a, a woman care for her mother. You could tell she probably went and picked her up, took her to the grocery store, probably took her to the doctor, and was treating her mom to lunch. And you go, that's what she was created for. Or watching a husband sacrificially Love his wife as Christ loved the church. And you can just see that in them. And I believe Elizabeth Elliot, she says it well. Never are we greater. Never do we know greater joy than when we do God's will. Jesus is saying that that once we know who we're praying to, We pray for God to move into his rightful place in our lives and to dethrone us. Then, this is then where it begins to flesh out by us wanting to see. And we look at this and we want to see God reign supremely on earth as he does in heaven that that thy kingdom would come. And that above all that we would want God's will above ours. And this is why this is such a dangerous prayer Because God's will becomes above ours. And we are to trust in Him even when things are not going as we had hoped or planned. In fact, one of the purposes of this prayer is to bring our hearts to trust the Lord's wisdom, not in our own. It's saying this, here is what I need. But Father, you know best. 
Thy will be done. It's us submitting our wills to God's rule as the one of our greatest needs. Just to be honest, we like to be the captain of our own lives. And submitting to someone else's will does not come naturally to us. But church, hear me on this. God will not give us anything. God will not give you anything that is contrary to His will. Students know this. God wills what He wills. And He will not give you anything that is contrary to His will. And that will always include what is best for us in the long run. Man, I know frustration. I know anxiety. I know when things are not going my way. I have to fight for this. Because I want to sit on my own throne. I want to be in charge. And the reason we are so filled with anxiety and worry and frustration is that we are not sovereign. But we get to call out to the one that is. So think about it. Think about how dangerous and life-changing this prayer can be. We begin by coming before not some far-off, unconcerned deity. We call out to our loving Father. And not only is He a loving and caring Father, He is the one that is above all. He's in heaven. And He holds all knowledge and all power. And you get to come back to the one that loves you unconditionally. And He cares more for you than anyone else in this earth ever could. And then, and then your first request is to ask for the help not to heal this person, not to work out this situation, not to even give a certain amount of money. Our first request should be, hallowed be your name. Meaning, Lord, we want above any and everything that your name, your person, and your character would be honored and revered. And then this happens. And we pray that the Lord's perfect reign in heaven would be seen on earth in our lives. In the lives of our children and those we're around as we submit to Him. And then we get to pray, Lord, Lord, that Your will, that it would happen even above my desires and what I want. And this is why it is such a dangerous and life-changing prayer that you could ever pray. So let me ask two questions. Whose name, whose names are guiding your decisions? And I'll confess, man, most of the time, it's the name Mark Daniel Kirkendall. That's what I want. I want to be in charge. But whose name is guiding your decision? And then this one. Are you ready? Because this, I'm telling you, this is the most dangerous thing you could ever pray. Lord, take my life and do with it what you will. No strings attached. Whatever your will is for my life, Lord, do that. Because if you truly believe and you pray that, I promise you, your life will never be the same. And here's what I see, and I'll close with this. Here's what I see is so amazing about this thing, prayer. Next week, we'll look at the last three petitions, daily bread, the forgiveness, and the temptation. And then we'll talk about the conclusion that we read that says, Thy power and the glory forever and ever. Problem is, it's not in your Bible. We'll talk about that. But here's what's so amazing about prayer. God runs this world with infinite wisdom. 
You and I will never inform him of anything that he does that he doesn't already know. There's nothing you could add to it. We never add to his wisdom about what he should do next. He doesn't need your prayer to know what he should do. He is God and we are not. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need your advice. He doesn't need to know what you think. He's not asking, what do you think I should do? But nevertheless, God has ordained to make our prayers real causes of real events. Meaning this, and I don't know how it works, but prayer causes things to happen that would not happen if prayers didn't happen. I don't know how he works it out, but he does. God doesn't need us to do anything. He is perfectly content. He knows what is best, but he has set things in place that would not happen without prayers. And this is so breathtaking. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote it. When a human is speaking to God That is the highest activity they can engage in. It's the highest activity you could ever do is to call out to God your Father in heaven. And this begins by remembering who He is and remembering that we are nothing more than redeemed rebels, sinners saved by grace. And not just as servants, as we've talked about today, that we're adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. And now we get to enjoy a fellowship and a future that are opposite of what we deserve. So the greatest and the most dangerous prayer you could ever pray. I'll close again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we do. We come before you on this day of National Orphans Sunday. A day reminded that you did not just save us to become servants, but you saved us to be sons and daughters. You have adopted us. Father, I celebrate those families that have received and answered that call to open up their hearts and homes to care for those. Whether it's through adoption or fostering or respite care. So Father, thank you for that. And Father, this morning as we think about the most dangerous prayer we could ever pray, that we would think about, that we would be moved by, Lord, really it's a prayer of dethroning us. Once we get off the throne of our lives, and most important, we can rightly look to you. So help us to be a people this week. Lord, we need the faith to believe, we need the power to act, that we would be a group of people. That would pray, hallowed be your name above all else. And then we would see it in our lives. And then others would notice that. So Lord, thank you for today, for a great morning of worship. It is always good to be among your people and in your house. And it is in your son's name and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged 
And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.